Welcome to the Jongets Games Podcast, where in today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from the February 2021 Questions and Answers vlog. Now, this was recorded live in February, and then I went through and edited it down to the questions that I thought were most interesting to cover, and then those are the ones you'll hear today. Now, as always, I would like to point out that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support coming in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. Now, you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash Games, and I do hope that you would consider directly supporting the channel if you enjoy listening to my vlogs in podcast form like this one. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. Uh, so the first question is coming in from Bill L. They say, do you plan your tutorial schedule out longer than 30 days in advance and adjust accordingly, or really just one month at a time? Um, I plan out as far ahead as I can, uh, as, as I can, <laughs> realistically. Um, every time I get probably around like September-ish, that's the moment where I create the new calendar for the following year. So I guess that means I have um, usually about three months that I'm really actively looking at. Um, and then for that year, I populate it with all of the videos that I'm planning on doing um, without sponsorship. So things like the vlogs that I plan on doing, the update vlogs, and I also put things like the Patreon-sponsored videos. I kind of space all of those in without saying what they're going to be um, because I use a Google spreadsheet, and that way I can just glance and see how much work I have committed to myself. Uh, and then um, I tell uh, people who want uh, videos made, I, I always tell them that uh, there's no such thing as hearing about a video too soon. If, I, if you want to tell me a year and a half in advance, then sure, and I'll write a note about it and get back to it later. Uh, realistically, my schedule um, it gets most of my attention about two to three months out. Um, I have kind of a rolling thing where, you know, videos that are very soon, I probably know about videos that are hypothetically four to six weeks out. I start to send emails if I haven't heard anything or if I don't have the prototype yet. And I try to just keep an eye on that. Um, most mornings I, I start the day off answering emails and checking the schedule and trying to make sure everything's fine before I jump into things like video editing and uh, um, uh, filming the videos. Uh, all right. So Joe Chang asks, when working on a rule book, do you have any input with player aids and uh, game board rule reminders? Um, yes, although I don't want to speak from extreme authority here because I have not worked on that many rule books at this point. Uh, I have done blind testing for, I believe, four rule books, and then I have fully written one for Darwin's Journey, and then I did a decent amount of writing for another one. Um, now, <laughs> from what I can tell, Publishers will take any kind of thing that I tell them. In fact, for Darwin's Journey, when they first taught me that game on Tabletop Simulator so that I could actually write the rules because I have to know the rules to write them, uh, I had several different graphical tweaks that I suggested um, just based off of the prototype that they sent to me. Uh, a couple of them they adopted, a couple of them they, they said they would kind of see, uh, but uh, it seems like publishers are always open to getting uh, feedback like that, and I definitely try to give feedback like that where I can. As far as player aids are concerned, um, no one, that actually hasn't come to my, my way just yet. Like with Darwin's Journey, I haven't seen the player aids just yet. They're obviously being designed. I'm still relatively new in this whole overall process, but I do uh, uh, certainly have the ability to give feedback, and it's up to each individual publisher to, uh, to take it. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Bill L. asks, how do you obtain your t-shirts? Which one are you wearing now? Um, Oh yeah, that one. Uh, <laughs> I get almost all of my t-shirts from the internet. Actually, all of my t-shirts I get from the internet. I haven't purchased clothing inside a store 
for probably five or more years. I, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of shopping in general, um, and, and I tend to wear things to death. I've had this shirt for probably seven or eight years. Some of the shirts I wear on here I've had for like 12 or years or longer. Um, probably most of the shirts that I get I have picked up from Shirt Woot over the years. I used to get more from Shirt Woot, but the last few years there's been less that really call to me. I just take a look every now and then, and if I see something that looks cool, I'll order it. Uh, many of my t-shirts these days are board game related, and most of those I find out about through Twitter and various things like that. If I see somebody with a cool shirt and I want it, I'll maybe ask them how they got it, just like a lot of people ask me how I get my shirts, uh, and then, you know, go ahead and try to uh, make that order. This one in particular was from Shirtwoot a, a very long time ago. I don't even remember the name of it, but it's a zombie robot apocalypse of zombies, robot zombies. I don't know. I thought it was cool. <laughs> it was probably only like $15. Jeff uh, asks... Oh, no, no, Jeff's not asking. You're just really happy that I'm doing the playthroughs. Yeah, uh, um, I imagine you mean the full playthroughs. Um, and I have been trying to work those in where it makes sense. For the most part, when I do a full playthrough, it's going to be for a game that is uh, shorter <laughs> in general. Uh, I'm not doing pl full playthroughs of very long games. Uh, part of me was like, maybe I'll do a full playthrough of Anno 1800, but then I was slammed. I had so much to do that there was just no way I could really pull that off. And I, I apologize because I imagine people would have really liked to see that. Um, but but I do try to work the full playthroughs in wherever I can. And now that I'm not making every single video a full playthrough, it's actually more fun to do them when I do decide to do them because it's less of an obligation and more of a choice that I've decided, like, I'm going to do a full playthrough for this video. And then, you know, it's, it's just a different uh, mindset that I have going into it. Jeff asks, have you been watching season five of The Expanse? We are waiting so that we can binge it. Um, yeah, I, I watched all of that. I love The Expanse. Um, it's probably my favorite fiction series ever. Um, I watched the first three seasons when it, there was just three seasons, and I loved it so much that <laughs> when the credits rolled at the end of the third season, uh, I literally went out and bought the, the first book to just read the books because I knew there were, I think, seven books at that time, and the fact that there were answers out there in book form meant I could not wait for more seasons. I had to read and learn all about it. So I've been watching four as they came out, and I, I've been watching five uh, each week at a time. Uh, and it was a it was a pretty good season. It didn't blow me away as much as I was hoping it would, uh, if I'm being honest. I'm trying not to be too much of an, uh, an expanse elitist, um, but this season, uh, season five, covered my favorite book from the series, and I felt like on screen it was not quite as punchy and exciting as I remember the book being, um, but I, that's kind of a, a side thing. I still really enjoyed the season overall, and I'm really looking forward to the next one, and I'm super looking forward to the ninth and final book that's hypothetically coming out at the end of this year. In fact, I am currently rewatching the first three seasons of The Expanse, and then I'm going to jump into uh, reading the books kind of in the middle uh, section again very soon to try and get myself ready for that again. Uh, uh, Best at Star Trek asks, do you have an all-time favorite game uh, that is maybe sentimental? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, for a while, I considered Through the Ages to be my all-time favorite game, but honestly, that's fallen really far back to the point where I'm not even sure if it's on my top 10 list anymore. And I remember when I made a, like, I think it was a top 20 games uh, list back in, like, 2016, I vaguely remember saying, I can't imagine Through the Ages not being my number one into the future. And now that I'm sitting here saying I'm not sure if it'd be in my top 10, that just shows you how fickle these lists can be. So the idea of, like, a truly uh, favorite of all time is really hard to peg down. Uh, I mean, if I'm going for a sentimental route, uh, you could make a solid argument for Settlers of Catan, even though I haven't played that 
that in like four years. I've still played more games of Settlers of Catan than just about any other game that I've played. Uh, and that one brought me into the hobby. Uh, I, I fell in love with board gaming, uh, playing uh, Settlers of Catan every single week for about two years. <laughs> so uh, that, that definitely has a big sentimental spot in my heart. Uh, Jeff asks, are you a fan of Stonemaier games? What do you think of the new Ri uh, Red Rising coming out? The last couple of Stonemaier titles were kind of meh for you. Um, in general, I found Stonemaier games to be fine. Uh, I enjoyed Wingspan, and I played it a few times, and ultimately decided I was done with it and moved that copy on. I played Tapestry a couple times and thought that was had some fascinating ideas, but didn't really turn into a game that I was super excited to keep playing, so I did move that one on as well. In fact, at the moment, I don't think I own any Stonemaier games, and over the past many years, I have. I owned Scythe at one point, and I've enjoyed playing Scythe, but I moved that one on. So it seems like for Stonemaier games, I, in general, enjoy playing them, but it does not seem like they tend to stick around in my collection, if that makes sense. Um, so regarding Red Rising, I don't know much about it. I saw the press release that came out, and uh, my main thought was... Cool. I look forward to learning more, learning more about it. I don't really know much about it at this point, uh, and I, I would like to see some videos to see about it. Um, odds are good it's going to be a game that I would like to try, because it seems like most Stonemaier games um, are games that I would like to try, but I have no idea if this one would break the mold and actually stick around in the collection longer. Uh, Amelia asks, who is your favorite person to play games with? Oh, that one is so easy. That's a softball. <laughs> uh, I love playing games with my wife, Jessica. Um, we are best friends. We've been best friends for like seven years now, uh, and we play a lot of games together. Uh, a little bit less so in the middle of the pandemic because um, just things are a little bit different, but uh, I love playing games with Jessica. We're right in the middle of a pandemic legacy season zero campaign, which is going great. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> playing games with your best friend makes sense, and I I am so fortunate to have married my best friend. So uh, that one works out pretty well. <laughs> uh, Andy asks, uh, what are your thoughts on escape room type games like Unlock, Exit, and Deckscape? Um, I've never played any Deckscape games, but I've played a bunch of Unlocks and a bunch of Exit games. And I'll say, I'm going to kind of speak for us right now because I've played just about all of these with, with Jessica. This is kind of a nice segue. Um, we tend to enjoy the Exit games more. Uh, we've played a bunch of the Unlocks and they have been fun, um, but we have played at least one that was a complete flop. Like we didn't even finish it. It was so unfun. And it seems like the Unlock games oftentimes, or at least in the past, the ones that we played, lean very heavily on finding tiny little, you know, hidden images, uh, little icons hidden here and there, uh, which is not the kind of puzzle we like as much as the exit games, which oftentimes lean into more creative things where you're cutting things up, you're folding them, you're maybe lighting a candle and casting a shadow and doing all that kind of thing. Um, we have played just about every exit game uh, that is at least the intermediate or harder. In fact, I went through and did some research and figured out all of the intermediate or harder ones that we hadn't played, and I bought all of them. <laughs> so we still have, I think, a couple more to go. But uh, Jessica and I have played probably well over 10 exit games at this point, and they are still our favorite. Uh, hey, Nebulae! <laughs> Howdy, Mike! Um, Nebulae asks, is there a game that no matter how you are feeling that day or how many players are available, you are always excited to play? Um... Hmm. Always excited to play. I mean, probably. Uh, I mean, my first thought was teach you, but you need four players exactly. So the player count can definitely be uh, problematic there. Uh, I guess if I'm thinking about a more uh, wider range of players, 
key flow uh, springs to mind because that plays really well from two players up to six players. Uh, so it's not any number of players. If there's more than six, then, you know, we're looking at either a party game type thing for everyone to play, or, you know, we could probably split up into multiple groups and I would still, uh, multiple groups, and I would still like to play uh, key flow. So I think that's going to be my gut reaction answer because it is an excellent engine building uh, uh, Euro style game that uh, uses hand drafting as its main mechanic. So the play of the game is just about simultaneous. And I've played this one, like I said, um, I think at three players, I don't think I've played it at two, and I've played it all the way up to six, and it plays in just about the same amount of time, and it is just as fun with all of those player counts. So Keyflow is a game that I, I don't see going anywhere, and I love how flexible it is. Dame Zumari asks, uh, I've played Lost Runes of Arnak and Merv and did not like them. Uh, that made me question if my taste on games has changed. Uh, have certain games ever given you the same feeling? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, over the many years, my tastes have changed significantly. Uh, Ten years ago, um, I would oftentimes mention that I didn't really like games that had victory points that much. Uh, I mostly liked games that had conditions that you had to achieve in order to win. Um, that was kind of a, a, a little thing that I kept going to. But over time, that's definitely changed, and I'm all about the victory points these days. And, and you know, way back when, you know, I used to play Eclipse all the time and much more like direct conflict style games. And over the course of the last 10 years, I've found that I've been enjoying those games less overall. I still like Eclipse, uh, but just in general, that type of game is less interesting to me. Uh, for a while, Cyclades was like my favorite game ever back when it came out in 2010-ish or so. Um, but over time, my, my tastes have kind of shifted away from that. And it does seem like, at least for me, that it can be a, an incremental change as um, you realize you start to see uh, correlations like, wow, I didn't like all of those games. Wow, maybe I don't like that type of thing as much anymore. And perhaps that's the same for you. I will say that I adore Lost Runes of Arnak and I did not enjoy Merv at all. So um, those games are definitely not the same uh, for everybody. I'm sure some people will like both. Some people dislike both like um, you did. And then there are other people like me that are kind of, you know, can go one way or the other. But they are functionally uh, significantly different games mechanically, even though they both fall under the Euro game umbrella. But it's possible, yeah. If you don't like either of those, then trying to find the uh, the common denominator between the two uh, might really adjust your overall take on the games that you enjoy. Bill asks, have you considered doing a playthrough with Jessica? Uh, yeah, um, actually, we did a playthrough together once a very long time ago. Uh, Jessica was curious to do it, uh, and she decided that it wasn't really something she was interested in doing more. Uh, so we haven't done that anymore. Although there are several of the full playthroughs that I filmed over the years that Jessica did actually play. You just didn't know it because she was off camera. She decided not to be on the camera. Um, these were usually games that had a lot of hidden information and bluffing to the point where she could really help by, by actually hiding some information so that I could play better. Uh, and one or two times it was because I was crazy slammed. And one of the things that takes so long when playing extended playthroughs is figuring out what every single player is going to do. So she's helped me out a few times um, coming up with those decisions. And we've actually uh, tended to play it almost like a co-op, even if it's a competitive game where she'd sit next to me and I, we kind of talk about like where this should go and what this person should do, kind of group thinking all of these things to make it faster. And, um, you know, I love playing games with Jessica, so it's been great doing that. But for the most part, I film and work when Jessica is also at work. So that's another reason why that doesn't really happen anymore. Uh, Patrick Trumpain asks, hey, John, which mechanism do you think is underused in modern games that you would like to see more of? Um, this gets asked somewhat often. I, I usually say incentivization as a gut check, uh, gut check answer to it. Um, there's probably other things going on. Um, you know, I think one thing that I don't see that much of, which is a mechanic I quite enjoy, is worker movement. 
This is the kind of uh, thing where you have a worker that you move to go and do an action, but you just have that one worker that you're moving around. Uh, one recent example of this is, um, oh my gosh, uh, Beyond the Sun. There we go. <laughs> uh, where you have just one worker and you move on to new spots to take actions. And I think this can be a really nice uh, kind of hybrid between worker placement style systems where you place workers and pull them back at certain times versus just action selection because there's a little bit of blocking, but in general, there's a lot of options. So I would not mind seeing more worker movement style, uh, style games, um, in particular ones that interact with other players with like a communal area instead of something like Scythe where you're moving your own worker on your own board. Although even that, it seems like is a uh, mechanism that's not used that often. Amelia asks, my family was big into a card game when I was growing up, but I only got hardcore into modern board games in 2020. What is one piece of advice that you have for newbies? <sighs> I guess the biggest piece of advice that I would have is don't buy too many games all at once, unless you love that part of it. Like there is definitely a joy that comes in with buying games and punching them out. I totally understand that, but uh, it is possible to realize how amazing board gaming is and just jump off the deep end and buy like 20 or 30 games all at once and then have just 20 or 30 games sitting there waiting to be played. The best thing I think to do is probably to buy uh, a lot fewer than that and try to play them more as they come, if possible. It can be a really hard thing to do and I totally understand that. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe not jumping off the deep end to have this massive stack of games because I have found myself in the past, especially before I had the YouTube channel, finding myself in situations where I would see a huge stack of new games that I want to play that I went out and bought, and I'm almost, I'm almost intimidated by it. Like, which one do you go for first? There could almost be like an analysis paralysis of what game do you actually play from all of those options. Uh, so I guess I would... Uh, I would suggest that. Um, other things would be, if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, uh, I would suggest, you know, trying conventions where you can try games uh, before you buy them from various game libraries and that kind of thing. Obviously, that's not a thing right now, but um, hopefully it will be at some point sooner rather than later. Uh, Dame Zumari asks, do you have an update on the Hallertau Odyssey? <laughs> uh, now, I'm assuming what they're referring to is the fact that I bought Hallertau in October of last year. I ordered it from Lookout Spiel Direct, uh, and I paid an exorbitant amount of money for it, like an embarrassing amount of money, because I wanted to cover the game. I figured it would win a Patreon poll, which it did, um, and I wanted to be one of the first people to put out a tutorial video of it, so I figured it was worth the extra money. Um, unfortunately, I have not received a shipping update since November 10th and it is now February. Um, so I've been in contact with Lookout Spiel, and it seems like DHL just dropped the ball on a bunch of people's copies of the game. Uh, it seems like most of the people who did what I did and spent <laughs> way too much money to get an early copy of it from Lookout Spiel um, have not received their copies. So I think something happened there. I think it was uh, sent over the Atlantic, and maybe it was in a cargo container that fell off of a ship or something. Um, it's still unresolved. At this point, I'm starting to wonder if I'm ever actually going to get the game. Uh, but as of this moment, still technically no updates since November 10th. Mirian asks, Hi John, what was your first board game that you remember playing as a child? Uh, hi from Serbia. Yeah, uh, welcome. Uh, the first game that I remember playing as a child is probably The Amazing Labyrinth. Uh, the Amazing Labyrinth with Maze in the middle. Um, I have this very vague memory of my mom buying that at a, uh, at a Goodwill when I was... I mean, as young as you can be while still having a faint memory. So probably six years old or something like that, maybe seven. And uh, we played that a bunch. I remember my sister and myself, as well as my mom. Uh, and it's such a neat game where you like slide these tiles down, trying to work your way around a maze. Uh, I actually played it 
at some point in the last 10 years, just for nostalgia's sake. Uh, and it's still fun. It doesn't quite hold up as much as it could have, but, um, I just have such fond memories of playing that one. I think it was a really neat game in a sea of like Candyland and life and that kind of thing. Um, in came the Amazing Labyrinth with actually solid decisions and very interesting spatial puzzles that you had to figure out, which I was able to do as a child, probably not very well, but I still felt like I was doing cool things even when I was super young. So I think that's a really impressive game. Uh, and I think it's still being published. I think it's still around. I can't really be sure about that one though. David C. asks, have you ever flipped a table in real life? Uh, no, <laughs> I have not done that. Um, uh, I mean, technically, the idea of flipping a table, you just like throw the table up because you hate the game you're playing so much. Um, I think if you, I was to abstract this a little bit more to say, have I ever disliked a game so much that I've left in the middle of the game? I have a hard time coming up with a, a specific example where just I did. Uh, there have been a couple of cases in the past where everybody decided that nobody was having enough fun to actually continue on with the game. Uh, so that would kind of be a table flip type of moment. Uh, but no, I've never had a personal like uh, frustration and anger spike to the point where that would happen. I've definitely gotten close to that with a couple of my plays of Twilight Struggle. Um, I just, I just get so salty about the things that can happen. Uh, and I've always played it all the way through, but I've really disliked my emotions that can happen in that game. So I guess that's as close as I've come. Reishi asks, what theme would you pull into a game not looking at the mechanics? I know that you are more of a mechanics person than theme in board games. Um, a quick answer to that one would probably be The Expanse because it's on my mind because somebody asked me about it earlier on. Um, I love The Expanse. I think it's an amazing story. I think it's an amazing world. And I know that there is a game called The Expanse, which was essentially a three-player game uh, version of Twilight Struggle. Seems like I'm talking about that game a lot for some reason today. Uh, and I haven't actually tried it because I just like Twilight Struggle so much. So it didn't really pull me into trying a three-player version of Twilight Struggle, even though I love the source material. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say no to playing The Expanse uh, board game at some point, but what I would love to see is more games, you know, card games, other types of board games that use this universe because there's such cool things going on and such great characters that I think it would uh, work out pretty well. All right. David asks, what is the game that you think you are best at? I think I would probably have to say Anno 1800 right now if I was just to go with a, a gut feel. I've played Anno 1800 six times and I have won five of those games and I came in second place once. Uh, that's a pretty good winning record, <laughs> I think, overall. Uh, for some reason, Anno 1800 works very well for me, which is probably part of the reason why I've enjoyed playing that one so much. I'd be hard-pressed to come up with another game that I have a winning streak like that for. Um, I know I've won most of the games of Mandala that I've played as well. That's another one of the better games that came out last year. I think I've lost that one twice and won it six times. Um, so yeah, I think a slight edge to Anno 1800. Um, there are probably other games that exist farther back that aren't the new hotness that I'm quite good at. Uh, I think I'm pretty good at Tiju. I'm not exceptional, but I think I'm better than average. Um, but um, I'm not really sure what my actual winning record is for that one. All right. Andy asks, have you played Lahav? Tons of incentivization as well as the worker movement that you spoke about. Uh, I have played Lahav. I think twice Definitely once, maybe twice. Uh, some good friends of mine own a copy of it, and they taught it to me a very, very long time ago. I mean, eight, 
years ago, nine years ago, something like that. Uh, and I haven't played it since. Uh, so I don't remember many of, or I guess I don't remember mo most of the details to the game. I didn't remember that it had a worker movement type of thing, and I didn't really remember the incentivization either. Um, perhaps that's the one I should give a shot again to. Um, I remember a couple of things. I guess the biggest things I remember about Lahav are what bugged me about the game. Uh, I remember that I was um, kind of frustrated by the fact that all of the buildings are face up at the start of the game in a stack. That just seemed like it was an, an analysis paralysis black hole that I could fall into. I remember being frustrated at the amount of resources that I was just drowning in and all the different types of resources that I was trying to deal with. But this was so long ago that it's possible um, my opinion of it would be pretty different these days because I play a lot more heavy style games these days and I've played a lot more heavier Euros that have lots of resources and cars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, maybe I should give Lahav another try. Um, thanks for mentioning it. Uh, Jinrei asks, do you have a game that you would love to see a legacy version of? Personally, you would love to see a Dice Forge legacy. Huh. I mean, I'm just going to go with gut reactions so that I don't have dead air here. The first thing that I thought of was Anno 1800. Okay, I'm obsessed with this game right now. It's one of the best games I've played. Uh, it was the best game I played last year. And I feel like it's such a simple system for such a kind of meaty style game. It's not the heaviest game in the world, but it's such a simple system that you could easily work legacy mechanics into that. Adding new industries, having industries go away, being replaced by things, new boards, new cards, new mechanics. Man, I hadn't thought about it before, but now I really want to play Anno 1800 Legacy. Thanks for putting that idea into my head. Uh, that would, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely my answer. Uh, Isabel asks, uh, if for some reason you could only play games you already own for a whole year, would you, would your interest in the hobby wane? I don't think so, but that's because I'm fortunate to own well over 200 games. I, I think I'm actually close to 300 at this point. Um, I'm very good at adding games into my collection on BoardGameGeek, but I'm less good about removing them, like, physically uh, from the database on BoardGameGeek to know exactly how many games I have. But I have so many great games that I feel like I would still love playing games at the end of a year. In fact, I know some people um, treat this as kind of a challenge to try and play all of their games or focus on their games instead of new stuff to find even more great experiences from within those same boxes that they have already. Um, it's possible that my interest would wane. I mean, I have been a cult of the new person since before I heard that term. I've always been um, borderline obsessed with learning new games. Uh, when I first fell into the hobby, I played Settlers of Catan every week for... Uh, about two years, and I didn't even really think about there being other games, but then I heard about Stone Age, and we got that, and then suddenly we played Stone Age a bunch, and from that, I found out that there were um, board game meetups, and I started to learn so many games. For the first few months of going to board game meetups, I would go every Tuesday, every Thursday, and most Sundays. Uh, this is back in 2009. And I would learn on average like five games a night. <laughs> there were some nights I remember I'd be driving home. Uh, at this point, I lived an hour away. So I drove an hour to these and an hour back. Uh, I remember one point driving home realizing I'd learned nine games <laughs> that night. Some of these can go really long. Uh, so yeah, I've always been about learning new games. So I mean, maybe my my passion for the hobby would, would wane a little bit, but I still think I would be enjoying playing board games because I do happen to own so many good games. I really try to cultivate a, a, a high quality collection. Um, I've removed far more games from my collection than I actually own at this point. Uh, and that's just a testament, hopefully, to the quality of the collection, at least as far as my tastes are concerned. Moving on, Marcus asks, 
do you back things on Kickstarter? And if yes, what was the last game that you backed? Uh, yeah, I do. It's interesting. I've been backing things on Kickstarter since essentially the beginning, like Alien Frontiers back in 2010 or something like that, and Imminent Domain. Um, there was a long while um, in the early uh, teens that I was receiving like one to three games a month from previous Kickstarter campaigns that I backed. For the last few years, I've cooled on backing Kickstarter campaigns a lot. Um, in fact, I think in 2019, I backed like one campaign total. Um, but over the course of the last six months, I've actually backed several. Uh, the most recent one was Carnegie. Um, that is a game I actually did a sponsored tutorial video for that Kickstarter campaign. And I have played it once with somebody else and I enjoyed it so much that I, I backed that one. I also backed Darwin's Journey because I played that game like six times now. And man, that game is so much fun. I wrote the rule book and I did a sponsored tutorial for it. And I still really enjoy playing it. And I didn't want to ask for a free copy when I knew that, you know, I want to own it as the board gamer, John, not John Gets Games, the professional person. So I just put my money where my mouth is, and I, I uh, back that one as well. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be backing the new Terraforming Mars game that's going to be coming out soon, as well as the new uh, Spielworks game, Tharos, I think it's called. Um, so it seems like I'm kind of shifting back towards uh, backing Kickstarter campaigns more than I used to. Uh, certainly a lot more than one or two a year, considering I've backed like two in the last month, and I'm, I'm planning on backing a couple more. Uh, Guido asks, uh, Hey John, big fan of the channel. I remember you saying that you liked On Mars last year. Is there any chance you'll do a how-to-play video for it? Also, how would it rank for you amongst uh, Vitalis Serta's games? Um, I think it's unlikely that I'll be doing an On Mars video. I don't actually have a copy. Uh, a friend of mine does, um, and it's possible if one of the contributing producer-level supporters of the channel wants to suggest that one, then I could probably acquire that copy and actually uh, make the video for it. But um, at this point, uh, um, I don't have any specific plans. I will say as far as where it falls with Vitala Serta games, I think it's my favorite. Uh, I haven't played all of them. I've played uh, Kanban, Vinhos. I've also played uh, Escape Plan, as well as obviously On Mars. Uh, Mercado de Lisboa is another one, as well as Lisboa, um, and at least one other one. Uh, and I think On Mars is right there at the top. Uh, Mercado de Lisboa is also vying for that top spot, but they are very different weights. Uh, but I have played On Mars, I think, three times now, and there are just so many cool things going on in that game. Oh, The Gallerist. Um, the Gallerist actually is a really good game. I only got rid of my copy because I gifted it to my friends who like it more than me, but it's still within our overall circle. I think my top three Vitala Serta games are probably On Mars, then Mercado de Lisboa, and then The Gallerist. Uh, those are all really good games. Uh, the Supremo Loser asks, uh, watching your videos, I think I have quite a bit of overlapping taste with you. It's interesting to know if you have a favorite area control game. Huh, yeah, I'm not generally crazy about area control as a mechanic, but the first one that pops into my head is probably Kalimala. Uh, I'm not sure if this one counts as area control as it's more about majorities, like there's a bunch of different scorings that need to have more than other people in specific spots as opposed to controlling areas out on a map. Um, so if you're looking for specifically an area control game, I don't know, maybe the experience uh, uh, not the Expanse, uh, maybe Eclipse. Uh, it's another space-themed thing, although I wouldn't say it's particularly area control, but it is about kind of deploying your force, and when you control spots, you do get victory points for it. So probably the Eclipse is what I would say, but um, this is not a mechanic that I gravitate towards that much, so um, I don't have one that I you know would scream about from the top of a mountain. 
Uh, Shrey asks, are you a completionist? Do you get expansions, extra maps, or promos, even if you likely won't play them uh, frequently or ever? Uh, the short answer to that is no, I am an anti-completionist uh, for the most part. <laughs> I actively avoid getting expansions and promos wherever I can for the most part. Um, occasionally, if I love a game and I think the expansion is very easy to slot in and just, you know, shuffle in with everything else and there's almost no extra rules, then I'm fine with those kinds of expansions. But I tend to shy away from expansions that add a bunch of new content because it just seems like it's harder to get those games to the table because you have to teach the base game as well as the expansion stuff. So there are certainly some exceptions, but in general, I actually avoid getting expansions for games. I'd usually just prefer to get a different game. <laughs> uh, and as far as promos are concerned, I actively avoid those as well because from my experience, they tend to not be very balanced. Uh, and I like the games to be balanced and maybe I'm just making a broad strokes statement here, but um, it seems like oftentimes I'll, I'll get a promo and I'll just be like, that feels so much better than these other things. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe it is balanced, but um, for the most part, if I want to add extra variability to the game, then I will go out of my way to get an expansion as opposed to getting extra promos. But in general, both of these things are uh, 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 things that I don't spend that much time actually doing. Next up, we have John Flea, and they say, they ask, what would be the best approach to learn a board game rules, and how do you minimize mistakes in your first game? <sighs> this is going to vary from one person to the next. Um, some people um, learn best from videos. In fact, that's kind of where my entire uh, livelihood comes from. <laughs> John Gets Games is my full-time job, uh, and the majority of what I do is teach people board games so that they can feel how it plays and hopefully also know the rules to it. I'll say for me, the best way I learn is by reading the rule book. In fact, I have found it's actually harder for me to learn rules from videos, which is maybe ironic considering, again, this is my livelihood making this type of tutorial video. But when I sit down to learn a game from uh, somebody else's rules, I usually just find myself about 15 minutes into the video and then I want to get the rule book out and just read it because... I've read thousands of rule books and I'm very good at compartmentalizing all these things and that just works better for my brain. So I think realistically the best thing to do is try a whole bunch of things and see what is going to work out best for you. And as far as minimizing mistakes in the first game, uh, I have two, two thoughts about that. Thought one, don't worry about it so much. You're going to make mistakes in your first game. I usually make mistakes in the first games that I play. Uh, with my tutorials, the reason um, I don't show that many mistakes is A, I edit them out whenever they happen, if I can, and B, I have the rule book right next to me and it takes me a very long time to film these things. So I uh, meticulously reread the rule book whenever I cover new sections. Um, so when you're playing in person, maybe have the rule book nearby and try to read through those rules right before you play, like the night before or even the day of, so that those things are fresh in your mind. And that way, even if you don't know the answer to a rule, you'll hypothetically know where it is in the rule book because you have just read it. All right, uh, the kid arc uh, says, explaining games to new people is hard. Do you have any tips? Um, well, honestly, the way I teach games to other people is for the most part, the way I teach games in my tutorial videos. Um, I don't actually play through the game, but the pattern that I go for is I try to start with the simplest concepts and I build off of that. And I usually use things like player aids to kind of work through. Um, if it's a game with, uh, you know, seven different phases on every single turn, I might briefly go through the phases before I dig down into each individual one. But for the most part, I just kind of teach things from the simplest ideas to the most complicated ones because I found 
usually in board games, the complicated ideas are not actually that complicated. They just use a bunch of simpler ideas that you already need to know. So it's all about finding the lowest common denominator rule and teaching that first before you talk about other things. Like, don't talk about dice manipulation before you talk about rolling the dice in the first place, if that makes sense. Uh, Ross says, uh, hey, John, what's, uh, what app, if any, do you use to log your gameplays? Long time, no see, dude, keep up the good work. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while, Ross. Um, I use the BG Stats app on iOS. It is an exceptional app. It was just a couple of bucks, and I, um, I, it, I just love how it can easily track you know, who you play games with, where you play them, what the scores are. It has this wonderful graphics that break down all of your plays um, uh, for various periods of time, as well as your win percentages if you log that type of stuff. So I strongly recommend BG Stats. I think there might be an Android version of it. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but um, I, I, I definitely, if you have uh, an Apple-type uh, device, then certainly get BG Stats if you want to log things. Um, I did go about eight years of just logging all of my apps using Chrome, just logging into BoardGameGeek on my phone in Chrome and logging them there, which worked out just fine. But uh, BG Stats makes it a lot prettier and a lot simpler. Okay, uh, looks like there aren't any more questions. So thanks again to everybody for uh, joining in and uh, potentially listening to this one later on. Uh, I will be doing another one of these in the future. Um, Let's see, I guess that would be in March. Usually I do these in about the second week of the month and I announce the specific date and time in the update vlog that usually comes out in the first week or so. So um, if you'd like to attend another one of these, then check out the update vlog when that comes out. All right, I think that's going to bring this podcast to a close. Thanks for listening.